God be with you. We still doing okay? We're still here? Are we warm? Somewhat? Yeah. We're getting there. Well, if we're getting there, then that is what that's what we aim for. Uh, so we're almost at the end of our fall sermon series. We've got one more week to go. And if you're just joining us, um, all fall we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. And the way we're doing that is we're holding these stories as windows. We're asking, what do we see through these things? So instead of asking how they happen, which isn't really that interesting a question, we're asking, why did Jesus do these things? Which is to ask, what does he want us to see? What are we trying to learn through them? What do we see that teaches us about what it means to be human, how our world works, and how we live within this world? And so with each miracle, we're trying to hold it as a window um, and get invited through it to look at what we see and ask, what does it mean if we climb through this window? And what does this teach us how to live, move, and have our being? What does this teach us about what is possible and how to get get caught up in what God is doing in this world? And so this will be the last one. And then next week, I'm going to do something that I know many of you don't like. Uh, but it's important that we do it. Uh, We're going to wrap it all up, but I want to hear from you. I want to know, as we've gone through each of these miracles, uh, what have you been thinking about? What What have they brought up for you? What questions do you have? What have you been struggling with? What have you seen? And so I want you to go away for a week and think about that stuff and bring back one or two lessons, one or two questions, And then we'll open it up and ask, what did you see through these miracles? What have they taught you? What have you learned? What have you struggled with? What questions do you have? And we'll do it all together, and then I'll bring to you um, what I've learned uh, through preaching all these miracles, and we'll see where we go. But for today, we're not going to do that, so you're safe. And today we're going to get into a miracle about Jesus healing somebody who was born blind. And so today we're going to talk about a story in the Bible. We're going to talk about a guy named Seamus. We're going to talk about the power of Jerry Lee Lewis. And then we're going to give you a question for you to take home. Are you with me? Sounds good? All right, so one thing before we get into it. Uh, Let's remember a really important uh, bit of wisdom. uh, That anything good in life requires some sweat. That anything good in life, anything worth having, any change worth making, it's going to involve some work. And so we're going to head into this sermon, and you're going to be asked to do a bit of work. We're going to get a bit sweaty this morning. Um, But that's why we're here, right? We don't show up to church just because it's let's get cozy with Jesus time. Uh, We get involved in church because we all have some work we want to do. We've all got stuff going inside of us that we're trying to figure out and sort through. We all want transformation. That's why we show up here. And so this morning as we head into this and that feeling you'll get of like, oh, nope, not going there, not going to open that door, that's complicated. Uh, I want to challenge you to get uncomfortable. 
I want to challenge you to open that door and just revel in the tension, to greet this uh, work head on and get sweaty together, knowing that in order to find the change, growth, and transformation we're looking for, we've got to get a bit sweaty. And so it's going to be worth it, and I want to challenge you to just push through it. But knowing that it is going to be challenging for some of us, maybe all of us, uh, let's just take a moment to bow our heads and start with a prayer. So if you'd bow your heads, please. And so, God, we know that you are here with us, moving in and around us. And as we head into this time of hearing from you, uh, help us be here. Help us know this is why we're showing up. And help us not run away from any challenges that might come up, but help us get ready to just dive right into it, knowing that the only way through it is through it. And so may we be here, may we be ready, um, and help us along the way. So we turn ourselves in this time over to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a story in the Bible. It's a long one, so we're not going to read it. We're just going to kind of walk through it, um, name some highlights, and then pull over in a few places, and then see where it takes us. But the story begins with Jesus and his disciples. They're walking through the streets, and they see a man begging on the side of the road. And now the writers of this story say that this man has been blind from birth. He's always been blind. And the disciples, they turn to Jesus and they ask, why is this guy blind? Is it something he did? Is it something his parents did? Who sinned? Now we'll pull over here because it's a weird question. And sin can be a scary and triggering word. And so when we talk about sin, we are not talking about these things that we can do that make us gross, yucky, and unacceptable to God. And we're not talking about breaking the rules or certain codes of conduct. If you've been given that definition of sin, if that's the kind of sin that's been operating in your life, what you need to do right now is crumple it up, throw it out. Because that definition is garbage, it's toxic, and it's really dangerous. When we talk about sin, what we're talking about is the culpable disruption of peace. Sin is the culpable disruption of peace. We're talking willfully and intentionally, but not always consciously, adding chaos and brokenness to the world. To sin is to do something that leads ourselves or others away from God's world, light, and love instead of towards it. With me? We're all on the same page? And now at the time when this story was going down, it was a common belief that if you got sick or if something bad happened to you, it was because you sinned or maybe even someone before you sinned. Maybe your parents Maybe your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents, maybe your great-great-grandparents, and maybe even your great-great-great-grandparents. But not your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. <laughs> At this time, it was believed that sin could be punishable for up to four generations. So you or someone before you did something, and that is your punishment. Now, this had less to do with 
their understanding of sin and had more to do with explaining why bad things happen in the world. Because we're always trying to make meaning out of things. And this was a way that people at this time made meaning out of why people got sick or why buildings fell on people. They're like, oh, he sinned, or his grandparents sinned. That makes sense. And so this is what the disciples are asking about. They want to know whose fault it is that this guy is blind. And we can't blame them, really. They know the anxiety and the worry that comes with this understanding of sin and punishment. They know what it's like to not only be worried about how they live, but also how great-great-grandma Hilda lived. Like, maybe great-grandma Hilda didn't recycle properly, and, you know, I'm going to be the one punished for that. And so they had that anxiety within them, and so naturally they asked, who made this guy blind? How did he end up there? And this is amazing because Jesus then does this thing that he always does. He rearranges the air, he flips the script, he throws the whole thing on its head, and he says, what? Guys, that's not how sin works. The world doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't punish you for something that you or somebody else did. God's not like that. But you want to know what God is like? You want to see what God does do? Hold on a sec. And then Jesus walks over to the guy. He spits on the ground. He makes some mud, and he smears it over the guy's eyes, as one does. He then goes and tells the blind man to go and wash at the special healing pool in the synagogue. And the guy, still blind, goes off, does that, and lo and behold, he can see. It's a miracle. And now, as you can imagine, this would be quite the thing. And so some of the faith leaders, they hear of it. And some of them are like, oh my gosh, it's the coolest thing ever. But some, some are a bit more cynical than that. And they refuse to see this for what it is. They refuse to listen to the guy's story, thinking it's all just a massive prank. And they kick the guy out of the synagogue. They say, you're not welcome here anymore. We don't put up with that kind of stuff. And so they separate him from God. They separate him from community. Um, And probably they separate him from any job he could possibly find, which essentially sends the guy out back where he started, begging on the streets, just not blind anymore. And so Jesus, he hears all this goes down, and he goes, to try to, he goes and finds the guy he healed. And recognizing Jesus' voice, the guy sees who it is that healed him, and he says, oh, it's you. Oh, I'm going to devote my whole life to following and honoring you. And we're told that Jesus responds by saying, this is what I do. I came to give sight to those who are blind and to show those who think they can see that they're actually blind. And not liking what he's saying, those cynical church leaders are all like, whoa, wait, are you calling us blind? And in one of the sickest burns you'll find in the Bible, this is so good. This is why why we need to really push back against Jesus being like all polite, which then means Christians need to be all polite, which is really a dangerous thing to teach. Because Jesus was most of the time not polite at all. And Jesus turns to them and says, If you were really blind, God would not be out to get you. But because you are blind, but you claim to see, you better watch out. And he just silences the church leaders. 
And that's the story. That's where the story ends. That's where I say, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. It is thanks be to God. It's a weird story, but it is thanks be to God. So what do we do with it? Now before we go any further, let's remember another bit of wisdom. That there is a way to hold everything. And that goes for stories in the Bible. How we hold them matters. It affects not only what we do with it, but it also affects how we hear it. And when it comes to this story we just heard, I want to invite us not to hold the story literally. Because the thing is, if we hold this story literally, we don't only have to wrap our heads around the fact that this actually happened, which means we have to ask how Jesus healed him. We also have to wrap our heads around what this story is actually saying to us. Because if we hold it literally, what it says to us is that if you are born in any way but normative, you have to be fixed. Which then means that you're broken and defective, which means that if God does make each one of us intentionally and purposefully, then God makes us broken and defective, which means God chooses to make us suffer, which means we need someone to save us from God, which means God is not really that loving, God's just really mean. And God's not worth believing in. That would be where we have to go with this story. That's a natural progression of the theology that we take from a story like that. And this is such a wonderful example of why we have to all learn how to think theologically. We have to all kind of step back from these stories or things that happen in our world and ask, huh, what does this say about God? And then we have to do the smell test. Well, would a loving God do that? Does that lead to love and wholeness and justice? No, I don't think it does. Then we have to go back and re-examine everything about it. Because if it is from God, if it is of God, it must lead to wholeness, it must lead to justice, it must lead to peace. And so we have to always ask those questions with anything that we pick up in the Bible or we see around us. So instead of doing that, I want to invite us to hold this story figuratively. I want to hold it a bit more loosely. I want us to to resist the temptation to see this as a literal miracle and see it a bit more broadly. Because the thing is, when we do that, the whole story opens up, the whole thing changes, and we can see what this miracle is actually trying to show us. And what we'll see is that this is not a story about something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's a story about us here today. It's a story about me and you and us. It's a story about something that we all need to hear. Because the truth is, and this is where it's going to get a little tough, we're all the blind guy, aren't we? We all can't see very well. Take, for example, what happened yesterday. So it's lunchtime, I'm getting hungry, and I know that I bought some amazing pickles from the store down the street. And so I think, I'm going to go make a sandwich. It's going to be the best sandwich ever. And so I go to the fridge, I open it up, and I can't find the pickles. And that's the only reason I want to make this sandwich, because I have these really like artisan pickles that I paid far too much money for. And I'm looking for them, I'm getting more and more frustrated, 
and I'm kind of cursing, and Dawn comes down. She's like, what's going on? I can't find the pickles, and she comes to help look. And she's like, oh, these ones? Right in front of my face. They were right in front of me, right in front of me. I could not see them. That happened to anyone else? Yeah, it happens to us all. We're blind to the things that are right in front of our face. But it's not just that, though. I'm also blind to how I see myself. I'll constantly, constantly shrug off or go, when anyone gives me a compliment. Because at best, they're being like, oh, you're super generous. Or at worst, they're just straight up lying to my face. (laughs) And I refuse to believe it, because I can't see those things that they see in me. I don't see the things that people say give me my worth and my value. Who else struggles with seeing their own self-worth? Yeah, we all do that. We all struggle to see the things that give us the value that other people think we have. So here's the thing about that. If we can't see the good in ourselves, if we can't recognize our own humanity, what else are we blind to? What else are we blind to with the people or world around us? What issues can we just not see? When it comes to our racial prejudice, when it comes to how we see and understand sexuality or gender, when it comes to ability, when it comes to privilege, what are we blind to? How is our vision limited? Because the truth is, we are all that blind guy. We all have our blind spots. And it's just a part of being human. It's a consequence of being subjective and cultured people. But we have to talk about this. Because the thing is, there's a reason why this story is important. And there's a reason why we have to hear it. Because a life of not seeing is not the kind of life that we're meant to have. Because where does a life of not seeing lead us to? It leads to disconnection. Being disconnected from God, our true selves, from seeing others who, for whom they truly are. And then what does that create? It creates a world that's driven by fear and ignorance. A world that far too easily becomes a world of hate. Because we always hate the things that we fear and don't understand. And I'm sure we've all experienced that world. We hear about it every single night on the news. And we all, I'm sure, lament and we wonder, how do we fix this? How do we get to this kind of world? Why do we have a world of hate and fear and ignorance? How do we fix it? And the answer is, the first step to creating a world of connection and peace is seeing the world in a new way. And the thing about that is, that kind of world, it has to begin with us. Which is hard, isn't it? It's hard because that means owning the fact that we are all in some way, on some level, blind. It means owning the fact that we all have biases, we all have prejudices baked into us, that we all have certain privileges filtering how and what we see. And that no matter how woke we think we are, how much education we may have, 
we still don't fully see, and we each participate in, in creating a world of fear and ignorance. There's this old parable about a guy named Seamus. He's this Irish guy. And every week he would go into the bar, and every time he goes in, he orders four pints of Guinness. Every single time, always. He's been doing it for years. But one day he goes in and he only orders three. And so the bartender, she asks, like, what's going on? You always order four. And so Seamus explains that his family lives so far away, he never sees them. And every time he talks to his family, his dad and his three brothers always say, well, go have a drink for me. And so he says, I will. Thus the four drinks. But he explains his father just passed away, and so it's just him and his brothers left, and so a new ritual is born. Three pints every time. And so time passes away. He comes in and orders all the drinks. But then one day he comes in and only orders two. And the bartender, oh, I'm so sorry. Did one of your brothers pass away? What happened? And Seamus replies, no, the doctor told me I just have to stop drinking. When it comes to healing from our blindness and beginning to take away from the world of fear and ignorance instead of adding to it, one of the things we first need to realize we do is that we can think one way and act a completely different way. That we can participate in systems that intellectually we don't actually believe in. We can think we see people We can think we have no bias and no prejudice whatsoever. Look at me, I have all these black friends, I'm woke. But in reality, in practice, our actions say otherwise. And the goal, the work we're called to do, and this is the work of spirituality, this is the thing that Jesus leads us into, the goal is to learn how to integrate our thoughts and our actions to truly learn how to see and help create a world where it's not full of fear and ignorance, but it's full of love and understanding. And so the question we should all be asking is how? How do we do that? Well, that brings us to the power of Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, We have a picture for you. Can we turn down the lights, please? So the white guy... His name is Scott Shepard, and the other guy, his name is Darrell Davis. Scott used to be a member and high-ranking member of the KKK. Darrell Davis, he is a jazz pianist. And one day, Darrell is playing at a bar, and Scott just happens to be there. And Darrell is, of course, playing Jerry Lee Lewis. And Scott is just amazed that a black guy can play Jerry Lee Lewis. And so he goes up to him afterwards and says, I really enjoyed your music, but I have to tell you, I I didn't know that black people could play music like that. Because that's white people's music. That's Jerry Lee Lewis. How did you learn that? And Darl says, well, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned it from? And he shared about Fats Domino. And he shared about all these other musicians that he learned from this black tradition that goes deep, deep into blues music. 
And Scott was amazed. He had never heard that before. And they had this hours-long conversation about their love of music and how Darl learned to play and how Scott enjoys it. And then towards the end of the conversation, Scott says to Darl, you know what, I, I'm kind of scared to tell you this, but this is the first conversation I've ever had with a black person. And Darl, like, why is that? And Scott says, well, I'm a member of the KKK. And Darl laughs, thinking he's joking. But he says, no, I'm serious. I was never taught to see people like you. But now, after this whole conversation, I see you differently. I don't really know what's going on. And Darl talks about how he knew at that moment he had a decision to make. And instead of leaving the table, he stuck around. And they talked some more. They exchanged information. And for years, these guys would call each other once a week and they would talk music. They would talk family. They would talk life. Until one day, Scott shows up at Darl's doorstep and he has his robes, his KKK robes in his hands. And he says, I want you to come and burn these with me because you taught me to see the world differently. And I no longer see you as the enemy, as the other. I see you as a person, as someone I love. And I can no longer do this. And so they go into the backyard and they burn their robes. To this date... Darrell Davis has converted over 250 people from the KKK. And he does it by sitting down and having conversations with them because he knows storytelling is the way to get people to listen so they can see differently. Just by storytelling, just by telling his story and making people listen, he knows that can change people from the inside out. This story, story in the Bible, they both tell us that healing from blindness is possible. It can happen. And it starts with listening. It starts by choosing to make space to hear the voice of others, to encounter, encounter the Christ in someone else, and letting that voice lead us into a new way of seeing ourselves, each other, and the world around us in this new, fuller, deeper, brighter way a way that's not grounded in fear and ignorance, but a way that's grounded in love and understanding. It starts with listening. But again, just like in both stories, it's a process, it's going to take time, but it also comes at a cost. It's going to take some sweat, and it's going to cost you something. It sent the blind guy back on the streets to beg, it costs Scott, his family, friends, and community. And so as people who are choosing to learn how to see better, to go down that road and see the world in a new way, the question we have to ask and answer is, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost and sacrifice that I'm going to make? And if you want to continue down that road, if we want to go deeper into this life that Jesus leads us into, the answer has to be yes. Saying yes is the only way we can find the lives and worlds of wholeness that we're here looking for. And this takes us right back to that zinger of a line that Jesus ended with. Because the real sin in that story 
That's not being blind. There's nothing wrong with being blind. It's a part of being human. It's just a fact of being alive. But the real sin, the real problem is choosing not to see. The real sin is recognizing that we are blind and not doing anything about it. So the question we each have to answer is, are we willing to see? Are we willing to do the work? Are we willing to take the time? Are we willing to pay the price to learn how to see this world in a brighter, deeper, and clearer way? And it's a question only each of us can answer. I can't answer it for you. I have to answer that for myself. So before we head into the final hymn, the question is yours. Knowing that we are each blind, Will we listen for the voice of Christ and others and let them lead us into a new way of seeing ourselves, each other, and the world around us? May you struggle well, and may grace be with you.